All right, welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. I am your host, Jan Garcia, and joining me today is Min Max's Ben Hansen. Hello, Janet Garcia. It's so nice to talk to you on a podcast. I know. Okay, so Ben, I have a lot of questions for you. Yes, One, please. how is this not just a piece of MinMax content at this point with a different overlay? <laughs> legally, it is a piece of MinMax content. Yeah, we're going to go right from this to actually recording the MinMax show podcast right after, and it's going to be a seamless transition for us. Yeah, so for those who don't know, I work with Ben on uh, MinMax, the MinMax show, but Ben, who are you? Hi, I'm Ben Hansen. Uh, I've been on this podcast twice before, but yeah, I left Game Informer after nine years as the video producer there um, back in late of late 2019 uh, and founded MinMax, which is a Patreon about games, friends, and getting better. Um, and yeah, our flagship show is the MinMax Show podcast. And we have a bunch of other shows that it would take way too long to explain, but something we have every single month, which is one of my favorite things, maybe my most favorite thing in the world right now, is we have a show called Trivia Tower where it is a community uh, video game trivia contest. It's kind of, Think of it like one versus 100. I see a lot of people saying, whatever happened to something like that? That's basically what Trivia Tower is. So if you support MinMax at any tier on Patreon, you get access to the private Discord. And then in the Discord every month, people compete through different waves of video game trivia to work your way up the Trivia Tower. And then the last person standing wins an Astro A40 headset. And then we give out game codes along the way. But the reason this is relevant to this audience is uh, Greg Miller is joining us on this month's episode. So on Monday, May 17th, he's going to be the co-host for this video game trivia and anybody can compete. So if you want to check it out, we'd love to have you. So what does co-hosting entail for something like that? Like what can people expect to see from Greg's presence there? A lot of nudity, a lot of hardcore nudity. Um, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but he agreed to all of it. Uh, no, it's uh, it's a lot of crack and wise. Um, so it's like five different floors, right? Uh, for the trivia tower. And the second floor is typically the guest floor where they can kind of choose the style of trivia that happens, maybe some of the questions in there. And so if you know Greg Miller's interests very well, you have a good chance of doing well on that floor in particular. It's probably, I'm guessing Lego Batman, something with the Vita for sure. It's largely Lego Batman questions. I'm guessing the answer is probably Patapon 2 mm -hmm. yep. or Patapon 1. Answers before trivia tower happens. <laughs> It's like, uh, what if that was just the game? Just like guessing the answers, like with no questions or no context. Ooh, good idea for a certain round. I'll write it down. Um, and before we jump into the show, I have to ask Ben, and you, you mentioned you have like a, a nicer camera on today than what I normally see you on. What do you use in your hair? Because your curls are immaculate. Oh, thank you. I have curly you. hair, but it's very frizzy. Thank you so much. Um, boy, I wish I was smart enough to tell you. First of all, shower. <laughs> Recommended for everybody. Um, and then here's, here's, here's my trick is I don't uh, dry my hair. I just kind of get out of the shower and kind of dabble it around the sides a little bit. And then that's basically it. And then well, it's like a good greasy head. How, do you not know what you use? Like I'm confused by how you can't answer this question. <laughs> no, like, so sometimes I, I have like some gel from, you know, 2009 in my shower. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I'll take like a tiny dab and put that in a little bit. So your shower setup is more like an archive than like a like an actual inventory of stuff that you're like restocking it's a museum there's a lot of gunk over everything i don't know what's your shower like how many different bottles of funky <sighs> stuff you got in there god i well it's a, there's a lot of people that live here so i guess there's kind of a lot going on but for me i have like my two products where i'm using diva curl but like it's not really working as y'all could probably notice and then there's like my boyfriend's products that i sometimes steal and then there's maybe like an additional product that maybe my dad's using. I don't really know what my dad. My dad's weird because he kind of does like a dorm style thing. He's very like mm, reclusive. His, so he's very his, much like bringing cool. like he has like his his like beauty box that he kind of brings in and out like he's dorming, you know, and like sharing a space. It's very odd. What do you think it is? What's he hiding? Um, I don't know. I think he just likes to keep to himself, which I you know, that's fair. I can I can relate to that. I've never seen a picture of this man, but I imagine just an amazing just flowing locks of hair oh no what's very the, much just the just the balding like 60 year old immigrant man what what's the mustache situation oh he's got a mustache my dad has nice. like a very like nice. I, he might not have one right now but he can like grow a pretty epic mustache huh nice. also I, yeah. I don't like the way ben skirted the question like he knows what products he's using he just doesn't want to yeah. tell us secrets mm, you know what I mean? 
I can run over up. and get it right now uh, if you want me to run and get this gunky no, thing. But now it's so you've made not, it weird. Let's, let's it, move away. Let's let, move away. Let's save it for the for post, post show. Let's there save it, it for the post show. For the post show. All for the right. post show, we're gonna have a product <laughs> reveal. But um, I feel like the Gunkin Grime thing segues perfectly into today's stories, which include Resident Evil Village being balanced on feedback that RE7 was too scary, an RE Village review roundup, Google Stadia staff exits, and so much more. Because this is. Oh. Kind of Funny Games Daily, each and every weekday at 10 a.m. live right here on twitch.tv backslash Kind of Funny Games. If you're watching live, you can correct us if we get stuff wrong. KindofFunny.com backslash you're wrong. If you don't watch live, you can watch later on YouTube.com backslash Kind of Funny Games, RoosterTeeth.com, or listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching Kind of Funny Games Daily. To be part of the show, head over to Patreon.com backslash Kind of Funny Games, where bronze members or above get to write in and silver members or above get the show ad free with the exclusive daily post show where we will get the official reveal of what Ben Hansen uses in his hair. Some housekeeping for you. The Kind of Funny Games cast Resident Evil Village review is up on youtube.com backslash Kind of Funny Games and podcast services. A thank you to our Patreon producers, Black Jack and Tom Bach. And today we're brought to you by Honey, but I'll tell you more about that later. For now, let's begin with what is and forever through the eons of time will be the Roper Report. It's time for some news. We have six stories today. Baker's Dozen. I will never get tired of hearing that. I should make that my alarm ringtone, honestly. Baker's Dozen. Love it. Love it so much. Uh, we're going to start off with Resident Evil Village being balanced on feedback that RE7 was too scary. This comes from Tom Ivan over at Video Games Chronicle, who is citing an Axios Gaming interview with the RE Village producer, uh, to- Toyishi Kanda. I think I'm, did I pronounce that right? Did I? Perfect in my did I? Ears, I think so. Let me know if I'm wrong. If backslash you're wrong. In which Kanda states, when we develop a new Resident Evil game, our goal is not always to make it scarier than the previous title but to find a balance to deliver a scary but fun experience for players. But at the same time, it's always our goal to create something that anybody can feel comfortable jumping in and playing. So we eased up on the tension curve in RE Village relative to RE7 Biohazard so that players aren't in constant fear. While Resident Evil 7 put players in a series of confined spaces as if the walls of the Baker Mansion were closing in on them, Resident Evil Village's relatively open environments aim to create tension differently. Quote, something we always... We also always have to pay attention to is the tension curve. We also find that people grow immune to fear if they're constantly pitted up against a tense situation or environment. So my question for you, Ben, is was Mm. Resident Evil 7 too scary? Are you excited about the idea of it being dialed back a little bit in terms of the constant tension? I am a a, a famous coward, Janet. Um, So for me, company. the perfect balance in my mind between action and terror is something like Resident Evil 4 which I understand a lot of people were like, eh, baby game, not scary enough. But that is the right level for me. Even like, I think Resident Evil 3, the remake, that was also not that scary. Resident Evil 2 remake, I love that game. Really freaked me out. Um, I think the interesting thing with this story is trying to figure out how important the VR version of RE7 was to how he was seeing the terror of that game. Because what, that game is four times scarier, five times scary for playing in PSVR. So I'm wondering if that's what he's factoring in when he's talking about dialing it back. Yeah. Did you play the PSVR version? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Really? I did not get that far. What was that like? Uh, it was terrifying. Yeah. I played it uh, with best friend Ronnie uh, a little bit in my apartment. Um, yeah. It's just like if you're into the idea of opening a door to a basement in a house and then just staring down the stairs and saying, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to for 15 minutes, then you'll love the PSVR version of Resident Evil 7. Yeah. I couldn't do the PSVR version. It is the. I would be willing to maybe do like one single let's play. You know, I always make the joke of, or a lot of people make that joke of, oh, you couldn't pay me to play whatever. But like in our case, like you, you can and literally have, like I, I quite literally have played games like as part of my job that maybe I wouldn't have before. But yeah, that's one I just definitely wouldn't be able to get behind. Um, I found Resident Evil 7 to be pretty horrifying. It was my first Resident Evil game ever that I played by myself. Oh, wow. Um, so it was it was a lot going on. The stalking character in that game is just way too smart, way too smart. So I, I'm part of me is like, oh, I'm excited about the idea of like it being dialed back. But then I also feel like, isn't that kind of what made RE7 so special and so stand out? Like you talked about four being kind of the pinnacle for you. Did you feel like it when it's too scary, it's almost a step back? 
I, I know that a lot of people love it scary, so I would never take that away. But yeah, Resident Evil 2 Remake was uh, a, a hurdle to play by myself. But I think it's interesting, too, that they bring up, like, uh, the importance of spaces. And I was like, oh, the Baker Mansion closing in you added to so much fear. And it's true, like, that environment can really change. And so even though I think woods are inherently scary, a village, I don't know if it's the scariest environment, coupled with, now that maybe this is sacrilegious, but I've never been scared of werewolves in my life. Like, what? ghost number one, aliens certainly up there. Where, who's scared of werewolves? Maybe this game will teach me that I should be scared of werewolves. When you say you're not scared of werewolves, does it mean like you're not scared in your everyday regular life? Like they're not a fear for you? Or is it like you're in game specifically? I guess, okay, how do we factor fears? It's probably how many nightmares have you is had? Is fear about a factor for you? <laughs> I mean, it's like how many nightmares have you had about these things? I don't think in my entire life I've ever had a nightmare about a werewolf coming after me. No, I think it's more of a, like a niche, like kind of monster which i'm sure a million people are going to be like there's so many so much lore about werewolves which i know there are but yeah i guess i think it's like the fact that it's more removed from being human like do you also find like the more human like horrors a little bit more scary than like if you're fighting just a giant monster yeah you know i said ghost number one i think to be fair i think like slender man style stuff is number one like, like slightly off human i guess is but that's kind of what a werewolf like is. Like Skinny Mario is probably up there for you. Yep, that's number two and a half, I think, certainly up there. But I guess that's the core terror of a werewolf. It's like, look at this monster. You could become at any moment if he just nibbles on you a little bit or whatever works there. One thing I found interesting, too, about like this article and like these quotes that came out of this interview is the idea that if you're... If you're putting too much fear in all the time, like, you'll become immune to the fear can't relate like i don't think i've ever had like re7 was scary for almost the entire time like specifically the the section that takes place in the mansion um i never felt any form of less fear don't know what is being talked about here <laughs> yeah you can't get numb to that stuff fear is fear yeah. no not at all um I, yeah like i'm i'm really torn on it i'm excited to be able to like have an easier experience i do think it's really interesting to think of like oh, we want Resident Evil to be a game that any player can get into. Because, like, have you found that to be true? Like, for me, recommending the series to other people, I'm super scared all the time. Like, mm. I I can't shoot for the life of me. Um, like, my boyfriend was watching me play, and he's like, God, you, like, have no... <laughs> the spacing. <laughs> like, I move very in a tank control fa fashion and things. But, um, yeah, I always found it to be a more accessible horror franchise. Like, do you think that's that's true of the series? Yeah, I mean, what's nice is this, they've had so many entries that if you're trying to get somebody into it, you can tailor it to their taste. It's like, okay, do they seem old school? Do you think they'd enjoy the RE2 remake or even the remake? Sorry, just to be clear, the remaster of the remake of the first one. There's like so many different flavors of gameplay and horror levels that in theory, you should be able to dial things in just right. Maybe they're an Operation Raccoon City person. You never know who you're giving it to, but you got the options here. But I'm amazed by the fact that you're actually playing Resident Evil Village. Yeah. How's it going it's, so far? Uh, uh, you know, I can, I can kind of toss in my two cents when we do the uh, review roundup, but it's uh, it's definitely going. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the, that review roundup and what people are thinking of the game so far. So uh, over on Metacritic, it is currently sitting at an 85. Keep in mind, this is just like critic outlet scores uh, for the ones that are on Metacritic. This is not counting, obviously, player base because the game's not out yet. The game comes out on Friday. Um, and before we kick into the actual reviews that are cited on Metacritic, uh, a reminder again, Kind of Funny Gamescast, Resident Evil Village review is up on YouTube.com backslash Kind of Funny Games and podcast services. Um, Brittany, oh gosh, I never remember how to pronounce Brittany's last name. Brombacher? Brombacher? Brombacher. Brombacher? Thank yeah, you. I'm so sorry, Brittany. I know who you are, and I know you know me. And I've please don't give me to for this. <laughs> with this uh, from What's Good Games, yes, uh, absolutely. The panel was uh, mixed with Tim loving it, Brit and Bless just liking it, and Greg saying it was flat. Damn. Mm. However, the scores reviews go. Uh, I kind of pulled from the high end and the low end of uh, the outlets that I recognize. So I'm just going to read a couple of the blurbs from these reviews. Uh, I'm going to read them out as the number from Metacritic. I know some people like have nine instead of like 100 point, but y'all know what it means. 
GameSpot gave it a 90 with saying Resident Evil 7 was an excellent return to the horror underpinnings of the franchise, but cunningly alerted with new ideas and a new perspective. Similarly, Village is an intelligent reintroduction of the best action elements of Resident Evil, though mm. it captures some of the same things that made RE7 such a breath of fresh air, or maybe rancid, stale, mold-filled air, but in a good way. Um, Village evolves to become its own unique creature. It makes you wonder what beautifully twisted fiend Resident Evil might mutate into in the future. VG247 sitting at an 80, saying, taking alone any one slice of the game, like a single house, the village, even the way the combat handles, has its issues. But combined, it merges into something that's still special, even if it isn't quite as brilliant as RE7 or 2 Remake. It's an easy recommendation, though if you didn't pick up it, it back in 2017, you might want to play RE7 first. Uh, IGN sits at an 80, saying, Roaming the streets of Resident Evil Village is like visiting a disturbing and deadly Disneyland, where every attraction is a house of horrors. I got just as big a thrill out of reveling in its frenzied violence as I did retracing my steps through the gradually revealed recess of its sizable village, setting to uncover the darkest story secrets of its monstrous main cast. Boss fights are a bit of a letdown, but the great variety of enemies throughout keeps things tense, especially on hardcore mode. And the fact that it's very much a throwback to the fast-paced action of RE4 also means it largely takes a step back from the slow burn scares of RE7's excellent opening hours, which may disappoint those who prefer more psychological dread to blowing off heads. But if you have an itch for action-heavy survival horror, I already see you getting excited, <laughs> then Resident Evil Village will scratch it like a fistful of Lady Demetrice's freakish fingernails uh oh. going over to our final review blurb from games radar which is at a 70 a little bit on the lower end uh one thought that kept popping into my head while i was playing i was just remembering how good resident evil 7 was i recently completed another playthrough in preparation for this along with some revelations and veronica damn this is a lot of research going into this yeah. <laughs> just because and number seven's reverse home invasion slasher terror is still up there as one of the greatest horror games of all time Resident Evil Village is an enjoyable, occasionally silly monster hunt that's entertaining, but almost completely resets all the incredible work Resident Evil 7 did to reinvent the series. Wow. React. Uh, very interesting. Um, I know that Serial Vasquez from MinMax uh, wrote the review for Polygon, strangely enough, and, and he was a, a big fan of it. Like he was saying that it was his favorite sequel since four so not counting the remakes but yeah it seems like action is the big takeaway is there's a lot more action than you expect but it's not going to be as silly as resident evil 6 but somewhere inching maybe back towards that end of the spectrum which you know i guess even resident evil 3 remake was already kind of inching that way as well but i'm very curious to see like how ridiculous it goes uh, yeah like it's kind of interesting because Back to what you were saying before, it's very much, I think, what kind of fan you are of Resident Evil. And like that's not this, you know, your scores are never like there's no right or wrong. It's all opinion based. And like you always step to those opinions with like your own feelings. Like the reality is like you being someone who loves four and me being someone who like fell in love with it from seven and remake two. I mm -hmm. think we're going to have very different takeaways from the same game even if like which is interesting because we have like very similar critical opinions and i think it's just like where did you enter and what do you like of the franchise so yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes of that i like that you brought up re3 as well because that was a game that a lot of people were also like kind of lukewarm on like both critically and yeah. fan based so i'm, I'm wondering if like yeah. people are going to be kind of I i'm curious as to what the reception is going to be especially from fans of village yeah and i'm really interested in kind of the storyline now of like Resident Evil 7 was awesome. That was the bold new direction where I think it kind of snuck up on people how good 7 was. I think people were worried out of the gate, like first person, is this really gonna feel like Resident Evil? And now in retrospect, it's like, no, no, that was actually, we'll be looking at it, you know, years into the future now. It's like, oh no, that was a really cool moment in the franchise. And I wish it kept going down that path instead of apparently more of an action focus. Yeah, though, I think we have to remember that like, and, you know, a lot of these reviewers mentioning that they played, like, the entirety of it again to, like, get a refresher and stuff. Also, shout out to, like, these reviewers and so many other ones who, like, went in and, like, did a bunch of extra, like, research work. That's not always, you know, needed for a review, but I think it speaks to, like, how much terror and love goes into the franchise from, like, a critical and fan perspective of, like, really wanting to, you know, give a thorough assessment of it. Uh, I know, our, you know, Serial, who did the review for Polygon, mentioned, like, spending a lot of time on it and really wanting to, like, you know, get it right and flesh out mm -hmm. all those thoughts. But um, I think we have to mention that RE7, um, without spoilers, the second half is pretty weak. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we never talk about that second half. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and it seems like, um, I think Surreal in his review, he mentioned that this game is like 10 hours and he seemed to think that it continues to build, which is nice. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because there's so much love for like that, that seven that, you know, RE7, but pretty much everyone agrees that like it doesn't follow totally through on like the brilliance that comes from like that first half. So um yeah, I have, you know, my own opinions on on RE Village. Uh I haven't quite beaten it yet, and you know, I won't be giving any any spoilers of the game, but I it's weird because I feel like I agree with like all of these and they're all very mm. different scores. Like right. I think everyone has just like really apt takes on it. Um, yeah, it's definitely more action-y. Um, it's definitely less scary, which I was like, once again, I was mixed. I was like more, a little excited because I'm like, great. It's like less horrific. But then there also were spikes in fear where I was like, never mind. It actually is scary and I don't want to do this anymore. And I actually have had uh, at least two nightmares <laughs> while playing this game so um not related to the game though just because i all play right before bed and then yeah it'll just like i had like a nightmare that like my like legs got cut off and then like another one about like some other horror it's like it's like my own horror seeping in through the game i think just because it's so, it it can be quite intense and like it, it's weird having playing something that's more actiony in resident evil for me because i came from seven and two yeah. so i'm like oh i should use these bullets okay and like that was that was kind of a weird jump for me um before we move on from the they can have like a back of the box quote like resident village will give you nightmares ellipses oh absolutely with the the other things in life (laughs) it's about life Uh just stress dreams uh did you touch the demo at all before we move on like you have any preliminary thoughts no i didn't i play it uh within that 14 minute period when it was live or whatever the hell was going on uh so i was just like at a certain point like i'll just go in and enjoy the full game here yeah, I think that's kind of for the best in some ways, though it, it felt nice to have like the answers to some things going in. I'm like, this is from the demo. So I was just kind of breezing along um, right. but at the same at the same time. Like it wasn't, you know, a complete one to one drop in uh, situation either, which was kind of a nice mix. Um, all right. Moving on to six additional staff leaving Stadia to join Haven Studios. This is uh, Daniel Partis over at GameIndustry.biz who writes, A further six members of staff have left Google Stadia for new roles at Haven Studios, the venture founded by former uh, Stadia VP Jade Raymond. And for those who need a refresher, uh, she left back uh, Google back in February to form uh, that studio after Google had closed its internal development. Now just still having Stadia, but just going third party on it. Uh, and since then, we had that Sony blog post announcing that Haven is working on a new IP for PlayStation. Um, it's funny because that news actually came, I think, like one day before I was last on Games Daily. So it feels like, mm. you know, these stories keep coming up over and over again and getting more context and, and growing as they go. Uh, but continuing with the article, as spotted by a poster on Resetera, staff across multiple disciplines have taken positions at the Montreal-based studio between April and May. Among the hires is Corey May, former head of creative services and publishing at Google Stadia, and former Stadia general manager Sebastian Purell, who is also a co-founder of Haven Studios. The departure follows the recent resignation of studio head of product, John Justice. Uh, ben, what do you think this means for the future or maybe lack thereof of Google Stadia? God, they are in a tough spot. Um, the, these were a lot of the big names that they had. Um, got Shannon Studstill, who's from Sony Santa Monica. Is she still at Google Stadia? I forget, but it's interesting to try and figure out who they still have there. Um, one name they still have at Stadia, um, that I'm very curious to see what they do next is Kim Swift, the designer of the first Portal game. Um, she worked with Jade Raymond back at EA Motive for a period before she went on to Google Stadia. And so maybe they'll reunite at some point. But as of now, this according to LinkedIn, Kim Swift is still there. But I mean, at this point, if you're a fan of Stadia, what do you have to look forward to? A slightly improved version of the service you already have? The next pro offering for their free games, right. like and pretty much. I really want to know um, the status of Harmonix's Stadia project. Like I love Harmonix so much. I have high hopes for that team doing something at least creative with the Stadia platform, something that hopefully couldn't be done anywhere else. Uh, But I have not heard about that for a while. And especially like the basically silence that was met when Pixel Junk Raiders, that that the Q Games uh, game was released, was just stunning. Like nobody talked about it, nobody streamed it. It was just immediately off the radar. And so I'm hoping for that Harmonix game to be great and to still be released. But yeah, this is just another nail in the coffin for Poor old Google. 
Have you played much of Stadia's offerings or dipped into it very much? No, I played um, some Pac-Man Battle Royale that existed on Stadia before yeah. Pac-Man 99 existed. Like they had another Battle Royale, which it seems like that has been lost to time already. Um, and dabbled in a couple of the things, you know, is that moment of getting it up and running on my phone and saying, oh, this is kind of cool. And then just not going back to it. But I still think it's a cool option uh, for folks that can't afford consoles. You know, like I even recommended it to some of my friends who are really eager to play Cyberpunk 2077 before it came out, mind you. But I was like, hey, you don't have a console. Like this is actually a solid way to play it. And so I think there's an avenue for people, but they need to do some work on the on the PR front at this point. Yeah, I have like kind of a similar history with Stadia and that I have almost no history with Stadia because I just, you know, it's it's not something that I was able to spend a lot of time with. I think I barely really went hands on with it a few months ago when FIFA came to Stadia, like I got like a code for it and was checking it out. And that was it was weird because like it was like I was showing up so late. I know it's still going, but I felt so late. But then also like, oh, this has some really cool ideas. And I don't know, it made me a little bit bummed about it because uh, as much as, you know, I love physical media, so you would think I would hate any type of streaming or services like this. But, you know, it is going to I think it is going to be the way of the future digital. And I, it would have been cool to see it, you know, take off a little bit more. Uh, ben, I have to ask you the age old question. Was Stadia no. ahead of its time or was this never really a good idea? Okay, so let's try and map it out. On Live was ahead of its time. Stadia was exactly on time, comma, maybe it wasn't the best idea. I, I don't know. I mean, how many people are using xCloud? I have no sense of where this stuff is going to be at, if it's always just going to be kind of that B-tier option for folks if they want it. But it's tough for a B-tier option to be center stage and talk of the town. And at this point, I don't know what they could do to get it back. Yeah, I think it's hard, too, because, like, I think originally they were leaning a lot more into, like, mainstream and hardcore coverage with, like, having even a studio at all, uh, like, yeah. you know, an internal dev studio. But it's, like, for such a casual market. So it had this weird in-between of, like, well, you're sort of talking about internal stuff as if it's going to be something that, like, I'm going to care about. But you're, like, saying it's something more for people who, like, aren't already in the loop. So I think it, it sort of struggled in that sense. And also, games are hard to make. I think this is a good reminder that games are hard to make. Yeah, um, but I'm really curious about what Haven makes. Um, Me too. Jade Raymond, she's had a tough go in the game industry for a while here, and the fact that she's still rallying and wants to run up that mountain one more time to try and get this new IP off the ground is great. And like in the PlayStation blog post, the biggest clue we have as for what this game is, is she says, we want to create worlds where players can escape, have fun, express themselves, and find community. So some sort of multiplayer-focused community. Focus. Out. No, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, but Fine really community. It's interesting to see uh, Corey May go there as well, who is a writer for the first three Assassin's Creed games, maybe beyond that. Um, but obviously they worked together back in the Assassin's Creed franchise. And then he has an interesting saga where he was at Certain Affinity and then 2K for a while. And according to Jason Schreier, was uh, the narrative director on the new Bioshock that 2K is still working on before he left to go to Google. So he's had a fascinating career. And so it's, it's fun to see this pocket of developers who have a lot of Ubisoft roots within Montreal forming together. And now they get funding from PlayStation in what seems like kind of a Kojima Death Stranding type deal. So it seems like a good, you know, situation and hopefully they can make the most of it. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, I loved reading like what Jade wrote on that post, kind of announcing everything. Like it had a lot of like optimism and excitement in it. and obviously you're always gonna sell it that way because it's your new thing but like i also like this is kind of like maybe the 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 hippie in me but i love a good like job a good a good unified job change everyone's kind of being like let's all go over here um i think you know obviously there is excitement for what's going on at that studio is what that tells me and also that they probably at least seemingly are going to treat those team members well i mean they wouldn't all go over if it wasn't something appealing so i think it's the most exciting part of it yeah. Um, speaking of excitement. Oh, oh, I was just oh, going to no, say, go testament to like Jade Raymond's leadership too. Like, yes, it's absolutely. When people actually want to go back to work with her. It's like, okay, there's a, a nice sign of approval. It's like the Michael Scott paper company if people actually did join when Michael was like, come to my paper company and it yeah, wasn't just Pam. Exactly. Uh, spoilers for The Office, but uh, moving on to Gamescom news. Uh, this comes over from Video Games Chronicle uh, in which uh, Colmany's chief officer, operating officer, Oliver Fries states... Uh, that Gamescom is going all 
um, digital. Remember how it was like, it's going to be a hybrid event. Well, right. you can forget that because it's not going to be a hybrid event. Uh, the quote states, even though the hybrid concept was very well received by the partners, we had to recognize that Gamescom still comes too early for many companies in the industry due to the required planning reliability. One thing is absolutely clear. All those involved now need planning reliability. Uh, that's why we're going for a purely digital Gamescom again this year. And with sufficiently time, we'll be able to offer the gaming community an even stronger online event at the end of August 2021. And the organizers have also adjusted the show dates with Gamescom opening night live taking place on Wednesday, August 25th. Ahead of the main event on August 26th and 7th, the event was previously billed um, from the 25th to the 29th, but plans for weekend activities have now scaled back, although, quote, some of the offerings will continue to be available. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is such a tough call to try and map stuff out. Even like at MinMax here, we're trying to do some of that. Of like, okay, do we have some sort of meetup in October? Like trying to figure out what the state of the world is going to be is so tough. And so I understand them playing it safe and just being like, well, even though it seems like now, at least in the States, people are getting more and more comfortable and getting vaccinated. Please get vaccinated, everybody. Um, that like we're inching towards that, but just trying to call that shot and throw the football down the field is is too tall of an order for a big organization like Gamescom here. Yeah, I was super shocked. Like, were you surprised when you originally heard that it was going to be hybrid at all? Yeah, I guess so. And there was a twisted part of me that's like, God, that'd be really fun to go to Gamescom if I could get there and it would be safe. But, you know, better safe than sorry. Let's just go ahead and wait for next year. And I'm still excited about, you know, Jeff Keighley's opening night live. I think that was a, a good stream last year. And, and I'm looking forward to maybe that being the biggest singular event of the year. We don't really know. Yeah, uh, I was super excited to hear this because I was shocked when they said they were going to do a hybrid event. I was like, mm, I'm also kind of surprised that they didn't mention like COVID at all here. They kind of just said like, oh, it's, you know, difficult to get things together, which is still true. I think I think both can be true. Um, and I think we'd be, you know, ignorant not to think that COVID does play a role in not making it better. Right. It's like, oh, you want me to to quickly rush to get together to do something that one could be dangerous and two could also not even be possible. I mean, like, especially when we think of like the state of the world at large, I think we need to remember that like different countries are handling yeah. and going through different elements of the pandemic. Uh, here in the United States, we're very lucky to have like vaccines be accessible to a degree where they're much higher than a lot of other countries. Um, and even with that, we still don't have nearly enough of the population vaccinated to even begin to return to normal, according to like what statistics deem that. Uh, like I know Nintendo World had closed in Japan, like after they opened and they closed again. So, uh, you know, I think things are going to be in flux for a while. And I think we'll see a lot of things of people being like, we're having it. We're not having it. We're ha for like the next year, maybe, maybe even two. We don't really know. Yeah, that's a good point, though. I didn't even think about that directly. But when it's literally a beacon for like, hey, all of the world and all of Europe, let's gather in one place, like just trying to mix where other countries are at with their vaccination rollout. That's just you can't plan for that. That's such a mess. Yeah. And uh, moving to our next story, we have a uh, winter oh, game that, developer. Oh, before that, oh. I, urgent message from the chat. Uh, OM Jesus wants you to know that, Janet, you're doing an awesome job. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Also, I forgot to read it out, but someone had mentioned that you're like their favorite critic. And also, holy cow, you know a lot of stuff. So thank you for being oh, on here. This is super fun. You. Yeah, it, it helps like having been alive during more of those eras than I have been, for sure. Uh, a little bit of lead time on that goes a long way. But uh, yeah, always enjoy your insights. This is a, this is a fun time. Uh, and speaking of that, you mentioned uh, really wanting to talk about this story, so I'm so mm. glad to have you on for it. But uh, Witcher game developer quits company over bullying claims. This comes over from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg, who writes, The director of Witcher 3 resigned after he was accused of bullying colleagues, sending its shares to their steepest decline since March. CD Projekt conducted months-long investigations into allegations against Conrad uh, Tomish. Tomiskowitz, I'm sorry, all four speakers. Apologies on, yes, apologies on pronunciation. According to an email staff reviewed by Bloomberg, uh, in the message, Tomiskowitz wrote that a commission had investigated the allegations and found him not guilty. Quote, nonetheless, a lot of people are feeling fear, stress, or discomfort when working with me. He wrote, he apologized to staff, quote, for all the bad blood I have caused. Uh, and it's also worth noting that in addition to his role in The Witcher 3, he was also listed as the second director and head of production at Sci for Cyberpunk 2077. So Ben, why is this such a big deal? And how, where are you currently sitting on your feelings of CDPR in 2021? Ooh, 
that's a big question. Um, I am one of those people that played Cyberpunk when it came out on PC um, and enjoyed it. <laughs> but I on feel PC, like it was like, it was wild because I also played it on PC when it came out. And it was like, you didn't notice really anything. Like, I didn't even really run into very many bugs. So then, like, to turn around and see, like, this big cluster was just, I was... I wasn't taken aback by it because I kind of knew it was coming, but it was it's it's crazy how different those experiences are. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely they, they had plenty of bugs still in there for sure um, as you keep unpacking it. But um, I've kind of been waiting for just out of curiosity to see if there's going to be a big kind of rebound for Cyberpunk, if not CD Projekt Red this year, like when it hits new consoles later this year, whenever that is, if there's going to be that narrative, if a lot of head, like sites are going to run the story of like, oh, wait, Cyberpunk's actually really good. There's actually a lot of game here because... Obviously, it made a lot of headlines when it came out, and it was just kind of frustrating that, like, we're not focusing... Obviously, there's a million things to talk about, but it's like there's so many interesting things about the game and these developers who, you know, worked way too hard to create this game. Like, let's try and celebrate some of their work in there. Um, so I, I hope some of that good stuff within Cyberpunk rises to the top. But for Conrad's case here, uh, I think it's it's such a weird one. I mean, when he says specifically... A lot of people are feeling fear when working with me. That's a quote from the man himself. Uh, that's probably a good sign that he chose to step aside. Uh, I think it's another, you know, it's a sign maybe of CD Projekt Red of where they want to go in the future. The fact that this guy who was found not guilty uh, in a larger sense still realizes and the company realizes like we need to be better than that we need to be better than not guilty we need to be actually moving towards creating a, a positive studio so i think it's you know hats off to the studio and hats off to him even though apparently he was quite difficult to work with at times you know for taking one for the team and, and stepping down yeah i love that you brought that up that statement of like you have to be better than not guilty um there were so many times and like due to i think ethically it's I don't think it's would be right for me to be like, I feel like even though this says not guilty, this person's because I'm not there. And it's just right. and also from like, you know, we do play the role of being like journalists and sources for people like, you know, that's why you, when you see stories, they always say like alleged and things, even if there's a lot of evidence pointing to it being true, you can't like legally just be accusing people of, of violations and things. Um, but I, I think that's a good example of the ways that even if investigations turn up with someone not being in the wrong, you can still be in the wrong. And in, even though I don't, you know, urge anyone to necessarily put on their total conspiracy cap, I think it's always important to be mindful of once there's a need for like investigations of certain things that already probably tells you a little bit about the culture and that it's in a negative, um, even if it ends up turning up, oh, they were fine or it wasn't what we thought it was like, that's probably still kind of a bad sign. So it is good that this, you know, person has stepped aside and is no longer involved. And I don't know. I mean, CDPR announces another game. Are you excited about it? Like in that hypothetical world? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just say Witcher 4. Sure. Right? Um, I'm, <laughs> I think excitement has shifted over to curious about just industry curious, I think is a term of just like, how are they going to pull this off? What is that message messaging going to be like? How quickly can they be forgived? I mean, you gotta remember, it wasn't that long ago where Blizzard was untouchable for the Hong Kong stuff, and now it seems like that's largely forgotten. Like, it is not impossible for a big company to dig itself out of, you know, a basement in terms of public perception. Yeah, but at the same time, that example is like, which this this sounds awful, but I just, I do feel like it's true of like the landscape of the industry. Like that has to do with actual like societal issues that it, people seem a lot more, oh, like gray on or not as passionate. Mm rather than like now if overwatch 2 is bad people are gonna be mad uh which sounds awful like you would think that people care more about like humanity and like social issues than how good the game is but the connective thread between all of us is like the games and the quality of the game so i do think it's a lot harder to come back from that element you know you mentioned the whole like in a few years what we see articles of like you know the the hidden, the most you no know, talked about hidden gem is Cyberpunk 2077. Yep, yep. Um, I think we totally could see that, but at the same time, I think, I think it was botched in such a specific way with so many layers that I don't think it has the capability. Like my my hot take prediction is, I don't think it can be like a No Man's Sky or these other sort of Cinderella stories that we've seen emerge because like 
it was just so extreme and so intense. And there were so many like layers of things that went wrong that, you know, I find it hard to believe that th- that, that game can redeem itself, even if it had some really cool ideas. Um, as far as like CDPR in general, I've always been a little skeptical. I didn't play The Witcher 3. So like I only played like maybe like an hour or two of it, which in 2020, it feels different than it did, you know, at the time it came out, I think for sure. Um, not enough time to make an assessment, but I was always kind of skeptical of Cyberpunk 2077 because it wasn't out yet. And everyone just told me they made The Witcher so they can make it. I'm like, yeah, right. but like, how? It, that's not the, it, it's not even the same IP. So I don't know how that's relevant. Um, like, well, it's the same genre. And I'm like, oh, well, who was right? But then no one cares. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like, I think, you know, we all learned a lesson in in a lot of things. And hopefully like the lesson that CDPR learned is that having toxic work practices isn't ultimately beneficial, even though they did make a lot of money, but then they also like, it's it's the money that they're leaving on the table in the future that they have to be thinking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah. With this story, um, I was at, I visited City Project Red, spent two days there back in 2012, 2013, uh, back at Game Reformer for the cover story trip on The Witcher 3 and like the announcement of The Witcher 3. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with uh, Conrad here and he definitely struck me as a very confident kind of focused guy like i remember just being I, obviously you know at two days at the studio i didn't see him being a monster or anything um but i remember during one of our interviews he was like so blunt where he was talking about you know designing the witcher 3 and going to an open world of course and he's like and we looked around to the competition and uh we played a lot of skyrim and skyrim was generic the storyline was generic they really missed the mark uh and then he's like i dare you to name five characters from skyrim and it was like one of those very blunt things like wow like pr is definitely shifting in their seats about like we haven't made an open world game yet maybe don't attack the number one open world rpg in the world um but he was going right at it and saying you know we are we are so confident in what we're making here we're making the perfect rpg and i was very much in the the, of like, did you take up the dare for the five characters <laughs> no i did not i said it's very much it. a hypothetical question i was terrified of him um no but the interesting thing with um him is he left but he has a brother at the studio who uh was the lead quest designer for witcher 3 and then also on cyberpunk 2077 and i went back and watched some of our old interviews with those two and it's uncanny but there's a moment where they joke about like how conrad's gonna retire before witcher 4 comes out and then his brother will be the new game director and so I would I would put money at this point that his brother will be the game director for whatever the next Witcher project is. See, and it's stuff like this that makes me think we're living in a simulation, right? Doesn't that seem a little too a little too convenient to have been organic? Like, are you right? saying it's, maybe it's just him in an outfit and a disguise, and he's posing as as his brother, and he can slip right back in? No, it's more just that, like, you know, are you? Well, I don't. We definitely don't have enough time to get into this. <laughs> to close out the show but uh you know simulation theory where it's like you know we don't have like <laughs> we have our own consciousness but basically we're like a really advanced version of a video game yeah. so like when weird stuff happens it's just like a glitch in the game i feel like that story is an example of proving simulation theory correct because a guy like, is a brother <laughs> yeah. yeah so but like where it's like where he said it and then it happened later it's like right. a little too tied if that if that does happen it's a little too tied together. You know what I mean? It is It is weird. Um, another little tidbit um, that I, I don't think people remember too much is it's interesting that the original creative director for Cyberpunk 2077 left, what, last year, two years ago, um, and is now a creative director at an unknown project over at Blizzard. So, you know, made the comparison before, but there's a direct transition there. But I'm so curious to see what that person creates at Blizzard. Hopefully it's something big and new. Yeah, and uh, speaking of new stuff, our very last story, very brief one. Uh, there's some cool PlayStation 5 shoes dropping. I enjoy all of the weird merch collabs, and I love talking about random weird products, so I had to bring this one up. Uh, Paul George of the LA Clippers posted on the PlayStation blog, which I love that sentence, even if he maybe, I don't know how much you've like sat and opened his word processor and, and, and typed this whole thing out, uh, announcing his collab with PlayStation to release the PG5 PlayStation 5 colorway. It comes out May 14th in select regions, and for the US, it'll be available May 27th. Do you think this will be harder or easier to get than a PlayStation 5 right now? Because hmm. sneaker culture goes hard, for those who don't know. It is difficult to get stuff. Oh, can you imagine if they put an Intel chip inside of a shoe, how difficult that would be to find? The, the, the double whammy. Uh, but right now, yeah, I just assume it's impossible. All I know about the internet and the world these days is whatever you want to buy is impossible to find. Yes, 
If you want it, you probably can't get it. So please take a look at this thing that you probably can't buy uh, without paying a ridiculous upcharge on eBay or any of the like sneaker resellers like the GOAT app and stuff. Yes, I have the GOAT app downloaded. One day I will order a bunch of shoes that I don't need because I love sneakers. But it's got a lot of cool detailing. It's, you know, white like the PlayStation 5. It has like the, you know, blue like on the on the swoosh and things and it has like the PlayStation logo and also like you know, uh, PG's logo as well and all this stuff. So I like these little collabs. I also like that they're just not quite as gamey as some of the things you see on these collabs normally, where there's like, you know, Mario bricks on the sides of the of the sneaker or anything like that. So they're a little bit more subtle. Uh, I think that it's kind of a fun uh, drop if you're does, interested in sneakers and PlayStation. It does have the sacred symbols all over like the white part. Yes. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So we are Which getting a little cool bit of Mario brick. But I, I feel like that's... It, Go ahead. Oh, I just think like that that, that, that that is a lot. Like it is doing a lot. I like it though. It reminds me of the controller. And I like, you know, that's what they're going for. That's what I was gonna say. It's that when you look really closely at like the the PlayStation 5 stuff, like you have the little symbols there, but it's not like immediately in your face uh type deal. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't type situation. Uh but uh, reminder that on Patreon, you can get the option to get the show ad-free. But for everyone else today, we are sponsored by Honey. Uh, Honey, we all shop online, and we've all seen that promo code field taunt us at checkout. But thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones it can find to your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. They range from sites that have tech and gaming products to popular fashion brands and even food delivery. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons and it can find for that site. And if Honey finds a coupon, you'll watch that price drop. The kind of funny crew loves Honey. Tim and Greg talk about it all the time, helps them save money on all sorts of items. I actually also have used Honey and I've used it even before hearing this ad crazy uh but yes it was uh it's just a cool convenient thing you add it on google chrome super simple doesn't always find coupons but when it does you feel like you got away with something and it's kind of nice uh honey has found over 17 million members over two billion dollars in savings so if you don't have honey you could be straight up missing out on free savings and honey itself is literally free installs in a few seconds and by using it you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast uh, I'd never recommend something we don't use. And conveniently, I already use this. So that sentence still applies to me. Get Honey for free and uh, at joinhoney.com slash games. That's joinhoney.com slash games. But getting those PlayStation 5 sneakers that we just talked about is so far away. And they're also not even a game, Ben. So if I mm. wanted to know what is coming to mom and grab shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show hosts each and every weekday. Hell yeah. Out today. Yeah. Uh, Non-Guns Doppelganger Edition for PS4. Dull Grey on Xbox One. Almighty Kill Your Gods PC. Distant Kingdoms PC. Infertile Radiation on Switch. Boris the Rocket on Switch. Save Me Mr. Taco. Takao? Takao? I know this game, but I don't remember. Or is that the name of a game, Janet? That's me. Uh, that's that's both. A little bit of column A, little bit of column B. It's the name of the game. Saving Mr. Taco. Taco. Y'all know what it means. Definitive Edition. (laughs) Taco, right? Uh, Definitive Edition on Switch. Two-in-one application driver and serial killer sniper on Switch. Um, New dates as in new releases. I'm going to keep interrupting you. (laughs) I, I don't know what this game is, but I love the idea of a marketing team pushing hard to market the game called dull gray on xbox one that is a that is a a heft it's right up there with like when xbox had the sad edition yes yeah cue up dull gray on your sad and just have a (laughs) have a cozy sunday afternoon Uh, you want me to pull up the trailer for this you know yes. what? Yeah, we shouldn't insult Dull Grey and the fine folks working on it without understanding what it is. Sure. sure. I, I will say, though, whenever I read through this kind of list, um, unless I happen to know like the games already, it's always like someone could have just put random combinations of words <laughs> and I would have no way of knowing. Uh, Boris the Rocket. There we go. On yes. Switch. Uh, these are always fun. Um, I know. They're so cool. Dull Grey. This is Xbox One. So last gen at this point. But ooh. It is gray. But far from dull. The drama of a single choice. Okay, this is a me game, not gonna lie. Okay. Yep. I like the um kind of like comic book aspect of it that it's got going on. Yeah. 
This is absolutely the kind of thing, and I say this with like no shade to the game itself, because like y'all know, those who follow me know I play like a bunch of everything, um, where I'd, I'd search like an eShop or something, and I'm like, this could be interesting, and then I just end up dropping like $10, $20 on like eight games, and I'm like, one of these is going to stick. Well, this is the game, as it's letting you know, the game about how to find your happiness. So, you know, it's about making your life less dull gray. So they got us in the end. Exactly. And then if that doesn't work out, there's always two-in-one application driver and sneer killer cyber. So you got a couple things to just Mm -hmm. bounce off of. But for things to look forward to as well, we have Cloudpunk is getting a sequel-sized DLC for PC on May 25th. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 lands on Nintendo Switch on June 25th. So you can like literally, you can flip the Switch, do a kickflip, and then do it in the game. Like you... It's like the content, the content possibilities are unlimited with this mm-hmm. one, y'all. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and cop it. Uh, Stonefly lands on June 1st um, for Switch, PS4, Microsoft Windows, Xbox Series X and S, PlayStation 5 and Xbox One. I'm so excited about Stonefly, the game where you're like piloting that little like mech and it just, the story looks interesting. The world looks interesting. I'm down for it. Um, Full transparency, Belinda, I think is is working on the writing on that one, right? Kevin, do I have that right? Oh, oh man, I have no idea. Um, but yeah i'm pretty sure i know people working on that but uh it looks cool uh galactic mining corp lands on may 18th on steam as well uh very quickly deals of the day castlevania anniversary collection is available on steam for just four dollars and 20 cents is that a 420 joke i don't know but it is on green man gaming like it seems like the, the, the chances are more than zero that that's a joke um, and the Nintendo Switch Lite Gray is available on Newegg, where you get like a $10 Newegg gift card uh, when you buy it for the $200 on Newegg. Um, really this quickly, let's try to get to... The Games Daily is brought yes. to you by the color gray. We just want to let yeah. everybody know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, really quick, let's try to jump and get to at least one question. Uh, we can always take care of the rest of them in the post. Oh, this is an interesting one. So um, BJ Bernardo says... Hey y'all, do you guys see a future where Game Pass is on a PlayStation console? Wouldn't it be cool? Uh, wouldn't PlayStation be cool with this? Because then they would have literally all the exclusive games on one console. Or am I dreaming? I have so many thoughts, but Ben, is that a dream or is that the future? <laughs> no, that is such a, a cool idea. And in a perfect world, PlayStation would realize that is an amazing way to market this console here is that you can play everything on it you know the nintendo stuff i guess doesn't count but at the same time i mean as they talked about in yesterday's episode of games daily like playstation is not too eager to go out of its way to to play ball with other companies you know i don't think i don't see this happening i don't see them you know getting behind the messaging of promoting how cool game pass is even if it's ultimately to sell their hardware when they're in the you know, they're in the interest of selling their software to make a profit here. Yeah, I don't see that ever happening either. <laughs> like pretty much across, I don't really see it happening across any of the consoles. I think, you know, as much as, or like the, you know, the big three, when we think of that, as much as like people will push the narrative of like, we're not competing because we're doing something so special and different that like we can't, we're not even, how could we compete with anyone? Because no one's as innovative as us, but everyone says that. So how true is that really? <laughs> like if everyone's unique, right? Then how, how unique is it? So I think that's very much the situation where, yeah, they all do their own thing. And I think they very much want to have it be about like associating PlayStation stuff with PlayStation things and knowing that like when it comes to getting, you know, the latest and greatest games and the best kind of experiences and all these other features that you're going to have to go to PlayStation. I feel like that's, sort of the narrative that uh, they want to push, which makes sense. Um, as far as um, anything for you're wrong, um, Belinda is the writer for Stonefly. I thought so. Thank Ooh. you, Nanobiologist. Um, so that's cool. And I believe uh, also from the Nanobiologist, the CDPR creative director left in early 2019 for Blizzard. There we go. So just kind of clarification on that. Um and then uh, Frankfurter said they're, uh, it looks like they're going to do a random draw on uh, the Nike sneakers app for the shoes, uh, the PG-13 shoes, and that they'd cost uh, 120 So I, I think usually there's entries. That's not really you're wrong. It's more of like your you know, heads up or whatever. But yeah. yeah, usually there's some form of like promotional things on that. Um, also, Ben, do you own any like weird collab stuff like like gamer? Do you have like gamer, gamer garb? Like, I don't know Ooh. if that's really your jam. Uh, I see I have a t-shirt that says min max on it. Um, I have like, yeah, I guess some old merch 
shirts and stuff. Like I had like a, a punch out for the Wii shirt and stuff like that. That's that's cool. But yeah, I think uh, the sneakers thing is still a little outside my realm of um, hipness. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's too washed to wear. Well, what, are you, what are you wearing for shoes mostly? Are you not a sneakers person? Uh, let's see. Um, I like that you have to look down. Are you wearing shoes in your house? This slipper? Oh, they're just slippers. Not- Yo, yeah. that slipper has like major dad energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I'm not even a dad. I can't even claim that. It just, okay. I know that I'm very uncool. I, I accepted that at age three and I've been riding it straight to the grave. But at the same time, like this sneaker craze, it's like, it feels as if everybody is suddenly into like toothbrushes or something. It's like, wait, wait people really care about shoes? What's happening here? Yeah. I mean, that's always, I feel oh, like, be God, careful. sneakers they, I really been. care about shoes. Really, like okay. the amount of money these guys are spending. Just be careful, Ben. It's wild out there. Can you do a Twitch poll, Kevin, just to find out right now? Do Oof. you care about shoes in the chat? I'm gonna be 100% honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, I that's a possibility. I don't know if um, I know the buttons. Let me see. <laughs> I think it's backslash poll to do it. Enter. Yeah, backslash poll to do it. All right, I'm gonna do but, sneakers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, ye or knee. Oh boy. Yeah, but I care about I care and about sneakers. I just haven't been able three to get minutes start pull. Okay, sure. perfect. Um awesome. Yeah, I care I care about my sneakers. I don't I haven't gotten like really nice ones lately and I don't really I don't follow the drops because like it's too intense, but very much like yeah, sneaker culture has been a thing for such a long time and the whole like it's hard to get things you want. It reminds me of that like, you know, that meme of like the two the two guys and the about to like get executed and it's like, "Oh, first time." Like, one, mm-hmm. you know, one of them turns the other. It's exactly that um for sneaker culture versus gaming culture so i I do find these like collabs interesting how did you get into sneaker culture Uh, i don't i've always liked hip-hop like i grew up listening to exclusively hip-hop i listened to only hip-hop from when i was born till eighth grade seventh or eighth grade was the first time i listened to like a rock album and was like this is something i like like i only listen to hip-hop and r&b so like that's obviously sneakers are huge in like that community um and uh yeah that's basically it. you know and i think you know my brother played basketball a lot too when he was like in high school he's six years older than me so i've always had an appreciation for sneakers i never really was like you know a sneakerhead in the sense that like i don't have like a really cool closet of a bunch of different shoes but i would love to be that person one day and i do have the goat app downloaded on my phone saving stuff because maybe one day i don't know throw it on a christmas list a birthday mm. something like that smart smart all right i think that hip-hop angle that's interesting yeah, yeah. Like, it might be a good gateway for a lot of folks that I, I had very much say. like, oh, my God, back in the day, I was very like all branded out, too. I wish I had photos of it because I used to wear like exclusively like, you know, I, I I grew up in like the, you know, late 90s or 2000s. And I wore exclusively like Rockaware. Like I had an all like um, I don't know if it was a Rockaware jumpsuit. It was like a pink velour. Like it had a hat. It was like a whole thing. Do you have pictures? <laughs> I was. I, I don't think I have pictures because I just genuinely don't have any pictures from when I was little. But like I do have I'll try to find at least one. I have one photo of me, I think, wearing a rockerware jacket. And my brother was wearing, I think, the coat 50 cents uh, clothing brand made like G unit had some clothes. So he had that on. We had a, we had a very specific vibe <laughs> during those years um, where I was like very heavy into into brands for everything. And now I don't I don't get brand pretty much anything except for for sneakers uh so far we got about like a minute left in the poll people were leaning heavily on nah where 50 percent 58 percent nah and 42 percent ye um also if you have dope sneakers uh send me some photos of these dope sneakers like tag me on twitter i want to see your dope sneaker collection tim, i do appreciate getting good shoes i just don't follow the drops as much tim's got a really cool wall where he's got a mm, bunch of like yeah see i want to have a looks, wall it looks really cool i hate i, I could see, I have wide feet and like I have to buy mm. now like stupid like I walk the dog all the time, so I have to buy like shoes for walking, and it's like, man, I don't fucking Brooks, I can get out of here is dumb. <laughs> oh, are you wearing like the running shoes? Because I have a lot of running shoes too. Yeah, or I've, I, I've I've worn a lot of running shoes over the years. But like I have to wear like like not cool running shoes, but like there really are no cool dad. running shoes. They're all ugly. Nah, but they have They're like cool ugly. like the, Nike makes all the ones with the Air Plus thing where it's like it's all like smart and stuff. But like these are yeah. just dumb. They're just comfortable. I can't run in Nikes. I'm wearing like the chunky Asics. Like I don't look good out there. Like I have like my sleekest shoe is like a the Brooks Ravenna, mm-hmm. and that doesn't look. That has big I, dead energy as well. I used to really really like Vans. I I get that that's not like a fancy shoe, but like the variety in Vans. Like I got 
my mom's more do like Harry Potter ones that are dope. Oh man, hurt to wear though now. Sucks. I was big into Converse. Talk about having white feet. Those. Oh yeah, those dude. Shoes when are I was young, just like that's, a stick. It's just a honestly line. that's probably why my feet are so fucked up. Because for the yep. first like, from like ages twelve to like eighteen, I just had twenty different pair of Chucks. If you wore Chuck Taylors, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Um, but as for stuff related to this show, tomorrow's hosts are uh, with Thursday. We got Greg and Tim and Friday. We got Greg and Jason Schreier coming through. Uh, if you're watching live on Twitch, we got a bunch of stuff coming up on Twitch. Kevin, what's coming up on Twitch? Oh, Greg uh, and, and Mike, they're going to be playing Fall Guys. It's going to be great because, uh, you know, Greg, not so good. Mike, really good. Uh, they're trying to get good for this charity stream we got going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's it. Together, yep. they can be one decent gamer. We'll see. We're going to find out. <laughs> um, as for now, it is time for the post show, which supports the save of a membership. Can check out that post show or above on patreon.com backslash kind of funny games. Uh, you can get in on this. But until next time, this has been kind of funny games daily. See ya.